You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Anthony Hayes. He is president and founder of the Hayes Initiative. We're going to talk about the benefit, the use of PR, public relations, uh, public affairs in building your business and generating awareness of you and your company. I think this is one of these areas that some companies have figured out how to do it really, really well and have benefited with a lot of growth. Other companies struggle with it. We're going to talk with Anthony about both who really can take advantage of it, how to take advantage of it, you know, really how to approach it strategically and successfully. And we're also going to learn about his own experience having built uh, and scaled a service-based company. Uh, I always love talking with guests who are both uh, kind of listeners and experts in the field. And I think this is going to be a really interesting and, and fun conversation with that. Anthony, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Yeah. So before we kind of dig into everything you're doing today, let's kind of get to know you and background. Give us a little bit of the story. What professionally, you know, where did you start? How did you build your business? What's the backstory? Sure. So I think, you know, it really sort of goes back to, you know, I grew up in Oklahoma and then moved to New York City in 1998. And it was, you know, to be perfectly blunt, no plan um, (laughs) or agenda other than being a 20 something in New York, you know, and um, certainly coming from Oklahoma to New York City. And, you know, especially as a member of the LGBTQ community, you know, for me, it was a real revelation. And so I just, you know, frankly, I don't, I think I sort of look back and think, good Lord, I'm, how am I alive? But, <laughs> but here we are. And so I really got into a lot of the, the work that I started was through the lens of LGBTQ advocacy and sort of government relations and really going to Washington and advocating for things like marriage equality or, you know, fair treatment for uh, employment, don't ask, don't tell, et cetera. And so in that was really where I sort of realized, oh, I have a, I guess my talent is really around storytelling and convincing and moving and messaging. And and it was just sort of through that that is, is how it sort of organically started. Now, when you fast forward to you and I talking today, mm-hmm. you know, I worked on Secretary Hillary Clinton's campaign in 2016, and I was part of the National Press Advance Team. And, you know, when you work on a presidential, you really get, I guess, a, a doctorate in, you know, yeah. just constant crisis management and management of press and personalities. And, you know, you get to see up close, you know, just leadership skills, both good and bad, you know, that you can take with you from either some of the best reporters in the business or, you know, directly from the secretary herself or the many surrogates that would go out on a campaign, you really do get to sort of see some real talent. But after the campaign ended, I was talking to a few communication firms here in New York City and was about to join one. And 
several people said, oh gosh, that's great. Let us know when you land. We would love to have you run our communications government relations again. And and I said, okay, great. And so I was talking to a friend of mine who owns her own business. And she said, well, God, how many retainers do you need to start a business? You've always, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you've always wanted to do this. And I, and, you know, I mean, I hadn't slept in a year and a half and it this was in, you know, we ended the campaign, I believe if my dates are right, mm-hmm. early November, right. And this, these conversations are happening before Thanksgiving. So, you know, I had barely just gotten back to my apartment, let alone thinking about starting a business. And mm-hmm. so I had a, one more phone call where somebody had given someone my name and they said, you know, your name keeps coming up. We need to run a nationwide bus tour around not repealing the Affordable Care Act. And, you know, your name from a media and just logistics and government relations, et cetera, keeps coming up. And I just said on the call, I mean, I really wish I could tell you it was really thoughtful, but it wasn't. And instead it was... <laughs> oh, great, you can hire our firm. And they replied, oh, great, send us your contract. And then I Googled contracts. <laughs> and, you know, now five years later, you know, I'm very proud to say, you know, we've, we've knock on wood, grinded it out, I think, in certain places and learned some things in, in places. But, you know, we have a seven-figure business and we're getting to work with some of the best people, in my opinion, in the world. Um, yeah. And we're really, really happy. So that's sort of a, a, a winding way to give you sort of the my road to, you know, now owning a communications and government relations firm. Yeah. No, I, I can't tell you how many times I hear the story of, of starting my business was an accident <laughs> or or my business kind of found me and I, I had no choice. Yeah, I mean, I could lie to you and be like, oh, you know, I, I've always known I would be a, a business owner and I always... <laughs> what I, Five years old, yeah, I, I dreamed of dealing with like, you know, computer problems and paper in the printer and, you know, staffing, you know, yeah. I, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned kind of your, your early kind of move to New York and I, I kind of had a similar one. I, I grew up in Minnesota and, and moved to New York. I was late 90s, but kind of similar thing. If I, I think if I knew everything I know now, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but but in my ignorant bliss, I was, you know, it was a good move. I'm curious what you kind of learned or, or what that experience experience gave you in terms of skills or perspective that have served you over time and as you know being you know a professional as starting a business is there anything that you think you've kind of borrowed from those early days oh sure and i i repeat this a lot i do uh, when i can i try to do as much mentoring and and just yeah. talking to young people because so many wonderful people were generous to me you know i would love to say like oh i got here all on my own i didn't you know there were a lot of <laughs> a lot of, lot of people like shoving me up the hill so the thing that I remember most in my 20s when I got to New York City and sort of just I, I realized I needed to say yes to everything. And I don't say that in, you know, obviously from a business point of view, you want to be very careful about that, but just yeah. yes to opportunity and yes to being open to it. And not just yes, but like sort of yes and where I would come in and really want to be happy about it, excited, be nice, have fun, right? Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I didn't know any better. So I was just having so much fun. And, you know, that really resonated for a lot of my employers all the way up to now. And I think even our clients is that we are very serious, very determined, you know, we'll work our butts off, 
But at the same time, you know, we can be nice and we can have fun along the way. And I would say that even in sort of jumping into the presidential campaign in 2016, I, I sort of had the same conversation internally with myself where I just was like, you know what? You've always wanted to work on this. Just say yes. Wherever mm-hmm. they want to send you, whatever grunt work they ask you to do, if it's caught, just go do it and just have fun and just be happy to be a part of it. And, you know, rather than because I think sometimes, you know, and I can use the, the campaign as an example, you know, I was older than most of the the really young people, God bless them, who were doing mm-hmm. the campaign. And so I just had I had a, a number of years working as a professional. You know, I managed media and communications for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, which for your listeners who don't know, it's a huge agency in New York that manages yeah. all the airports, bridges, tunnels. Terminals, the World Trade Center reports into two governors, Governor Cuomo and Governor Christie at the time. And so I just had some real, gratefully, some real professional experience behind me. But when I say sort of lean into stuff, it really is the idea of I had raised my hand and said, yes, I'll come here and I'll help you and I'll do a job, whatever the job is. And rather than needing to be, you know, next to possibly senior staff or needing to be next to Secretary Hillary Clinton in order to have a positive experience, just knowing that I was doing a good job and showing up and, and making really lifelong connections uh, was was enough. But I say that's yeah. that's that's what really sticks with me, because I remind myself really every day that I'm like, you raised your hand for this. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, I think that's great. It's funny. It's just connecting with me. And um, I've been reading a lot of Michael Singer. And I don't know if you've read the, the Surrender Experiment, but he basically talks about his whole his whole kind of life journey as being finding things that his initial reaction is sort of no way and finding a way to say yes and a wholehearted yes, like like really putting his whole kind of soul and energy into it and, and how it gave him, you know, kind of opportunities that, you know, on the surface wouldn't appear to be there or, you know, were not obvious. And by taking kind of this attitude or, or being willing to kind of really embrace what is being offered to you, you know, by the universe, by whatever, it really led to interesting things. I'm curious what, like, do you think there was a particular mindset or kind of thinking that you had to go through to be able to kind of see these things as opportunities without necessarily knowing what the exact opportunity was going to be or what the outcome was going to be? You know, I don't know that I have an exact idea. I think I just go back to my parents were they worked in warehouses and worked for minimum wage in Oklahoma. So, you know, not yeah. like the, you know, where we hopefully will get to $15 plus a minimum wage in the country. But yep. if I remember like six, seven, I mean, nothing. And, you know, they raised two kids on that. And and what I just always remembered was, is just there, they really did instill very quietly a work ethic in me. And I think because I have, you know, I've been working since I was 13 and like my first job was, I went to the bowling alley in Enid, Oklahoma and convince them to let me like go around and clean up on like mm-hmm. the big night. So I was picking up ashtrays and all the just crap. And I loved it because I was making money and I, I just felt real value in doing something. And so I yeah. think that that probably is really where it comes from. And and I just have noticed more in my life when I take action. That's because, you know, look, we'd all love to be like, oh, I know exactly where I'm headed and I know what I'm going to do. And, meow, 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 meow. and I think whoever, I think some yeah. people maybe have that. So I don't want to be totally disparaging, but I think it's a little bit yeah. of like a fake it till you make it, which I fully respect, but oh, yeah. I'll just totally tell everyone I'm faking it a little bit. Uh-huh. And 
And so, but I think it's the action that sort of really pushes me forward, whether or not I know exactly what I'm, how my day is going to end, you know, cause I, I would imagine all your listeners have that experience of, you know, yeah. you, you wake up and the urgent rushes out the important and next thing you know, it's, you know, 9 PM and you're like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think every business owner, every sort of entrepreneur that I've worked with, there has been major kind of pivots and unforeseen opportunities that they've had to kind of figure out how to take advantage of. And, and yes, you want to plan, but you don't want to be beholden to that plan. And really, the plan becomes more of a, a guiding tool to help make decisions yeah. more than you know something that, that you perfectly execute over a long period of time. Like There's going to be changes. Yeah, we call it strategically flexible at the Hayes yeah. Initiative. I like it. I like it. So tell me about the 2016 camp- presidential campaign. Like, I think it's really different being all in on one project you know, with a team versus you know, having a company. Like, what is it that you think you've learned from the 2016 campaign that we're able to apply to you know, starting a business and, and you know, creating a firm around this versus the things that were, you had to kind of change and adjust you know, that you had to kind of learn how to do differently once you had a company version of this? Give me some insights. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great, it's a great question. And I would say, I think it just sort of boils down to, you know, the takeaway from a presidential campaign, specifically sort of having the good fortune of getting to be, you know, especially once we got heavily into 2016, I would say New Hampshire really, which was, I think, February 2016. Okay. That was when I sort of really got in um, into the really nitty gritty of running a presidential and the logistics behind a giant machine like that. And I think the reason I think that's sort of relevant to like today and sort of being all in is that you know, you have to think a little bit ahead in terms of the relationships, right? Because everything is built on relationships. And even in the chaotic world of a presidential, that's even more important because a lot of times you would fly into a city or a state, you know, and you would need to put together 24, 48 hour period for the candidate. But that could consist of managing the the airport plane flies into the private <clears throat> terminal that involves managing new secret service agents that involves managing multiple multiple vendors that are part of you know thousands of people rallies to one-on-one interviews with national press outlets like CNN Fox etc you know, it involves volunteers, right? Because you also have the candidates, uh, volunteers who are the lifeblood of a campaign. And certainly Secretary Clinton knew that more than anybody. And so you have to do that with like grace and dignity and humor, but also with the ability to move things forward and influence by personality, not because of a hierarchy that where people report into you. And so I think that, you know, now running a business and managing clients and managing up and across and aside and, you know, having on, especially because we, we were fortunate that we work on some some fairly big infrastructure stuff in New York City. And, you know, those kinds of really, really big, large-scale projects often have multiple vendors, consultants, et cetera, all of whom yeah. you may get tasked with helping project manage, but none of them report to you. You know, as far as they're <laughs> yeah, concerned, exactly. they report to the person who brought them in and is paying their paycheck. So yeah. I think that that probably just all of the pieces of the puzzle is what has helped the most. 
No. So let's, let's talk about the, those things that you do. So you talk about public affairs, public public relations, media outreach, crisis management. What, what is it that you do? How do you kind of characterize your service? And what is the sort of the benefit that you provide? Or, or what can you do and what can you not do in, in helping companies with, with some of these issues? Sure. So a lot of what we will, I think what sets us apart from other firms is that we do go across sort of the public affairs spectrum, right? We can manage communication, we can manage government relations, and we can manage community outreach, which again, for larger scale projects, especially if you're talking infrastructure projects or really big initiatives that you may want to launch in a city. You know, I do think sort of even just using this current crisis, um, Mm -hmm. you know, COVID vaccine, right? That has so much community like relations work in that. So we can manage all of those things. And we have between us all, I would say probably close to 30 years of experience managing different things. And we really come in oftentimes needing to digest a significant amount of information very quickly and help distill it down to help people get to the point. Because at the end of the day, whether you're talking communicating with an elected official, whether you're talking communicating to a reporter or members of the community, you need to get to the point. And everybody's tired. Everybody's busy. (laughs) And all too often, you don't realize that you have a nanosecond to get to the point. And so because often you have, you know, C-suite and then, you know, various people who are weighing into that C-suite, who they're also close to the project, and they think it is very, you know, everything is very precious. But in reality, you know, you should probably be able to sum things up in about a sentence, because that's about as much time as you're going to have with everybody. And then if they get it, you know, I think probably the best person who did that was obviously Steve Jobs when he introduced the iPod and he said, you know, a thousand songs in your pocket. You immediately knew what problem he was solving. And so I think that's a big part of what we do is helping people get rid of, frankly, make things more readable, make things more understandable. And because the benefit to to sometimes bringing in outside firms is because we're not close to it, we're not precious to, well, this is how we do it here. And I think a lot of times, unfortunately, just some really bad learned behavior internally can get stuck on, well, this is how we do it. And so we get to come in and sort of, you know, be helpful, hopefully, in them disrupting that. Yeah. It's funny. I always say that, uh, you know, the, the, the creator is the designer of, you know, solutions always wants to talk about features <laughs> and not the benefits that they deliver to the community. I mean, it's like, like really it's changing the frame, right? It's not, a, not about how you see what you've developed. It's like, how is it going to impact people? Why should they care? You know, how do you tap into the, their core needs and values and beliefs and desires and aspirations and, and having that outside view can be, can be key. You know, one of the things that we have noticed, especially in the last year that we've had is that a lot of times people view crisis, you know, for instance, COVID or major leaders who are having to speak up about social justice for the first time, et cetera. They, they really try to, well, as I like to say, complicate a ham sandwich. And it's like, it is an opportunity for you to speak to your values. It's an, it's an opportunity to speak to what you provide to your customers and to your constituents. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times people view crisis or a bump in the road or a mistake as something so insurmountable when really it's an opportunity. Yeah. Uh. 
And do you see a difference between, you know, working with folks in kind of the public sector, you know, campaigns and policy and things like that versus, you know, helping folks in the private sector with their more kind of business messaging and, and business initiatives? Like, how are these different for you? or Are they not different for you? Give us some color here. Yeah, there's some, there's certainly some nuance between them. I think at the end of the day, people are communicating, right? And so they're communicating okay. to some audience. And so I think the tactics and tools that people use to communicate and I think really making things clear and concise and removing all of the things that probably make whatever they're trying to communicate too precious, I think that's really the same. And I would say the bulk of what we do, regardless of, of who we're communicating with. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And what kind of companies and what kind of situations can benefit most from you know this kind of professional sort of service? I mean, where do you find you kind of add the most value? What kind of companies, what kind of situations? I think we do the best when we're dealing with folks who are actually looking for honest feedback and they are looking for some real direction on how they can both improve their brand identity, how they can improve what people know about them. You know, one of the things that we experienced quite a bit in the early stages of COVID, and I would say probably April, May, June, but really April and May, is that people would call us or they would get connected with us and we'd get get on the phone with them. And, you know, listen, we're, we're like any small business. We, we're happy to talk to anybody who is interested in sort of what we're selling. And so... But we would have these conversations with people who were so focused on or have the concept that it's like, oh, if I hire a public affairs firm, if I hire a PR firm, we're going to get press. Rather than to the point what we were talking about earlier is why is what you're wanting reporters to report on newsworthy? And is mm -hmm. it? And have you even asked yourself that question? And, you know, we had one person who kept saying, you know, our CEO just wants press. And I'm like, oh, okay, well... You're a brick and mortar business. You know, you're offering something that is in the mental health service, which is desperately needed right now. I think if you were willing to probably partner with a governor or two in a major state where all of a sudden you're now offering this online version of mental health for free for a little while, I definitely think people would be interested in. They're like, oh, we don't want it for free. And it, there was no sort of flexibility in how they were going to approach sort of becoming newsworthy and not recognizing the tsunami that reporters were having to deal with because the media industry is a business. And yeah. so if you can't imagine yourself reading it, why would anybody else read it? You know, and mm. a lot of people come at us when they don't factor in everybody. Everybody thinks they can do communications. Everybody thinks they can become a thought leader overnight. Yeah. And oftentimes we work with people who actually understand that it is about building a drumbeat that is consistent over a period of time where you will see the most benefit. Sure, there are some like short-term wins that we can get for people, but they often don't really, <laughs> in my opinion, and we often tell people this, we don't think that it really sort of benefits them for what they're going to have to pay us in order to make it happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And two, it's not strategic. So I think that's one of the biggest things is that people have to understand that in order to become a thought leader, in order to, to raise your profile, in order to get media, you know, you have to do the work and it takes more time than everyone thinks. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's always the, it's an investment, right? And, and, and it will pay off, but it, it can be investment that about time, money, and energy over over a period. Curious, some of your insights in, in as you've built the company, what are some of the things you've had to kind of learn, adopt, uh, change in your own kind of leadership as, as you've gone from kind of leading these campaigns to building a practice, building a firm, you know, working with clients, working with other, you know, partners, colleagues, you know, employees, what has been part of your kind of, you know, learning and development journey personally? Yeah, it's great. It's a great question. And I am, you know, still, I think probably the most interesting thing that I have witnessed over the last, especially two years is, you know, again, we're now in our fifth year, we are, you know, a seven figure business that is continuing to grow and we're poised to grow. And we certainly are happy about that. But I've realized that my job has to change every year almost. My day-to-day job needs yeah. to, if, if I'm really growing a business, if I'm actually adjusting and being there for my team or thinking about business development or making sure that my clients have enough of my time, like my job really consistently is changing and evolving, especially if I'm empowering the employees that I have hired mm-hmm. to help me, then I need to get out of their way and I need to go do other things. And I need to, so it's, you know, I'm sure there's probably tons of examples I could give, but in particular, it's just, you know, I, I'm i very in the weeds on stuff. And I think it's just because of all of the many, many years of crisis management that I just sort of, it's a knee-jerk reaction of mine to sort of stay in stuff that I don't necessarily need to be in because you just get nervous of letting go of control. So, um, but I have noticed that my day-to-day job year over year gratefully continues to change and gratefully you know, hopefully continues to move me more into the space of better better use of time. And I think it's also a better use of my team's time. Yeah. It's interesting. I always say one of the bigger challenges of leadership is not so much learning new skills, it's unlearning old skills. <laughs> because the, you know, that, that thing that served you so well up until this point is actually going to hold you back. And so letting that go can be, you know, can be a real challenge. And, and I, I certainly have seen you know, a lot of a lot of leaders and ultimately a lot of companies get get kind of stuck or at least, you know, cap out in terms of growth because because we can't level up the leadership team. Yeah, totally. One hundred percent. I'm curious, strategically, as you've looked at you know your business and you've looked at the market, I mean, w- one of the kind of jokes that I always say is the, the faster you want to grow and scale, the more you need to focus on your very specific clients and very specific products and services. How have you sort of chosen who to work with and what sort of services to offer that have you know led to better profits, better customer relation, you know, better growth in the business and, and you know, better kind of awareness in the market? Yeah, I think we've gotten so much better at helping the clients who bring us on or the clients that we currently have define our scope. Because, you know, when you come to an agency like ours, right, you're coming with some fairly big problems. You're coming with (laughs) lots of different touch points, lots of different tactics, lots of different constituencies. And what can happen is, you know, especially with a group of people that have been in campaigns or worked on electoral legislative, worked on major media initiatives, you know, we we can dip in and out of all those things. But the reality is, you know, for us, especially as, as specific to my business and our business and my team, is the more defined we can be with our clients, 
then the more they're going to sort of see the benefit of having a vendor like me on retainer. Because I think having hired people like me, yeah. you know, and I think that there are some really, I have some stellar colleagues in the business. And then I think like any, you know, industry, I think that there are some models that are not the most efficient. I think clients feel that and I think they feel like it's expensive. And and really the point of someone like me existing is that we are making the person who brought us on's life easier. And so that's always sort of our base level is if I was that person who needed to hire me as a vendor, do I feel like at the end of every week that they made my life easier and that they helped me manage up to my boss? And that's really how we think about, we get pretty granular in how we define things Mm -hmm. because we find that just it feels better for us, it feels better for them. And then people start to see success um, and, and it's just versus it being very open because then I think we we would get too overwhelmed, either A, try to be in too many places where it's just not possible or B, mm-hmm. step back so much because there's so much disorganization that it looks like we're not you know involved or doing anything. Yeah. Uh, Anthony, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, what's the best place to get that information? Sure. Easy is always LinkedIn, Anthony J. Hayes, or my website is hayesinitiative.com, or just shoot me an email, anthony at hayesinitiative.com, and it's Hayes with an E, H-A-Y-E-S. Great. I'll make sure that all those links and information is in the show notes so people can get that. Anthony, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.